Section 12 of An Editor's Tales by Anthony Trollope. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Panjandrum, Part 2, Despair, Continued. The way in which my work went on without a pause was delightful. When the pen was not in my hand, I was longing for it. While I was walking, eating, or reading, I was still thinking of my story. I dreamt of it. It came to me to be a matter that admitted of no doubt. The girl with the muddy stockings, who had thus provided me in my need, was to me a blessed memory. When I kissed my sister's brow on her first arrival, she was in my arms palpably. All her sweetnesses were present to me, as though I had her there in the little street turning out of Theobald's road. To this moment I can distinguish the voice in which she spoke to me that little whispered word when I asked her whether she cared for Walker. When one thinks of it, the reality of it all is appalling. What need is there of a sister or a friend in the flesh, a sister or a friend with probably so many faults, when by a little exercise of the mind they may be there at your elbow, faultless. It came to pass that the tale was more dear to me than the magazine. As I read it through for the third or fourth time on the Sunday morning, I was chiefly anxious for the panjandrum in order that the new inmate might see the world. We were to meet that evening at eight o'clock, and it was understood that the sitting would be prolonged to a late hour because of the readings. It would fall to my lot to take the second reading, as coming next to Mrs. St. Quintin, and I should at any rate not be subjected to a weary audience. We had, however, promised each other to be very patient, and I was resolved that, even to the production of Churchill Smith, who would be the last, I would give an undivided and eager attention. I determined also in my joy that I would vote against the insertion of no colleague's contribution. Were we not in a boat together, and would not each do his best? Even though a paper might be dull, better a little dullness than the crushing of a friend's spirit. I fear that I thought that the new inmate might atone for much dullness. I dined early on that day, then took a walk round the Regent's Park to renew my thoughts on the very spot in which they had first occurred to me, and after that, returning home, gave a last touch to my work. Though it had been written after so hurried a fashion, there was not a word in it which I had not weighed and found to be fitting. I was the first at Mrs. St. Quintin's house and found that lady very full of the magazine. She asked, however, no questions as to my contribution. Of her own, she at once spoke to me. "'What do you think I have done at last?' she said. In my reply to her question, I made some slight allusion to the new inmate, but I don't think she caught the words. "'I have reviewed Bishop Berkeley's whole theory on matter,' she said. What feeling I expressed by my gesture I cannot say, but I think it must have been one of great awe. And I have done it exhaustively, 
she continued, so that the subject need not be continued. Churchill does not like continuations. Perhaps it did not signify much. If she were heavy, I at any rate was light. If her work should prove difficult of comprehension, mine was easy. If she spoke only to the wise and old, I had addressed myself to babes and sucklings. I said something as to the contrast, again naming my little story, but she was too full of Bishop Berkeley to heed me. If she had worked as I had worked, of course she was full of Bishop Berkeley. To me, the new inmate at that moment was more than all the bishops. The other men soon came in, clustering together, and our number was complete. Regan whispered to me that Jack Hallam had not written a line. And you? I asked. Oh, I am all right, said he. I don't suppose they'll let it pass, but that's their affair, not mine. Watt and Smith took their places almost without speaking, and preparation was made for the preliminary feast of the body. The after-feast was matter of such vital importance to us that we hardly possessed our customary light-hearted elasticity. There was, however, an air of subdued triumph about our Lydia, of triumph subdued by the presence of her cousin. As for myself, I was supremely happy. I said a word to Watt, asking him as to his performance. "'I don't suppose you will like it,' he replied but it is at any rate a fair specimen of that which it has been my ambition to produce. I assured him with enthusiasm that I was thoroughly prepared to approve, and that too without carping criticism. But we must be critics, he observed. Of Churchill Smith I asked no question. When we had eaten and drunk, we began the work of the evening by giving in the names of our papers, and describing the nature of the work we had done. Mrs. St. Quintin was the first, and read her title from a scrap of paper. A review of Bishop Berkeley's theory. Churchill Smith remarked that it was a very dangerous subject. The lady begged him to wait till he should hear the paper read. Of course I will hear it read, said her cousin. To me it was evident that Smith would object to this essay without any scruple, if he did not in truth approve of it. Then it was my turn, and I explained in the quietest tone which I could assume, that I had written a little tale called The New Inmate. It was very simple, I said, but I trusted it might not be rejected on that score. There was silence for a moment, and I prompted Regan to proceed but I was interrupted by Walter Watt. I thought, said he, that we had positively decided against prose fiction. I protested that the decision had been given against novels, against long serial stories to be continued from number to number. This was a little thing completed within my twenty-one allotted pages. Our vote was taken as to prose fiction, said Watt. I appealed to Hallam, who at once took my part, as also did Regan. Walter is quite correct as to the purport of our decision, said Churchill Smith. I turned to Mrs. St. Quintin. I don't see why we shouldn't have a short story, she said. 
I then declared that, with their permission, I would at any rate read it, and again requested Regan to proceed. Upon this, Walter Watt rose upon his feet and made a speech. The vote had been taken and could not be rescinded. After such a vote, it was not open to me to read my story. The story, no doubt, was very good. He was pleased to say so, but it was not matter of the sort which they intended to use. Seeing the purpose which they had in view, he thought that the reading of the story would be a waste of time. It will clearly be waste of time, said Churchill Smith. Walter Watt went on to explain to us that if from one meeting to another we did not allow ourselves to be bound by our own decisions, we should never appear before the public. I will acknowledge that I was enraged. It seemed to me impossible that such folly should be allowed to prevail, or that after all my efforts I should be treated by my own friends after such a fashion. I also got upon my legs and protested loudly that Mr. Watt and Mr. Smith did not even know what had been the subject under discussion when the vote adverse to novels had been taken. No record was kept of our proceedings, and as I clearly showed to them, Mr. Regan and Mr. Hallam were quite as likely to hold correct views on this subject as were Mr. Watt and Mr. Smith. All calling of men Pat and Jack and Walter was for the moment over. Watt admitted the truth of this argument, and declared that they must again decide whether my story of The New Inmate was or was not a novel in the sense intended when the previous vote was taken. If not, if the decision on that point should be in my favor, then the privilege of reading it would at any rate belong to me. I believed so thoroughly in my own work that I desired nothing beyond this. We went to work, therefore, and took the votes on the proposition, was or was not the story of the new inmate debarred by the previous resolution against the admission of novels. The decision manifestly rested with Mrs. St. Quintin. I was master, easily master, of three votes. Hallam and Regan were altogether with me, and in a matter of such import I had no hesitation in voting for myself. Had the question been the acceptance or rejection of the story for the magazine, then by the nature of our constitution I should have had no voice in the matter. But this was not the case, and I recorded my own vote in my own favor without a blush. Having done so, I turned to Mrs. St. Quintin with an air of supplication in my face of which I myself was aware, and of which I became at once ashamed. She looked round at me almost furtively, keeping her eyes otherwise fixed upon Churchill Smith's immovable countenance. I did not condescend to speak a word to her. What words I had to say I had spoken to them all, and was confident in the justice of my cause. I quickly dropped that look of supplication, and threw myself back in my chair. The moment was one of intense interest, almost of agony but I could not allow myself to think that, in very truth, my work would be rejected by them before it was seen. If such were to be their decision, how would it be possible that the panjandrum should ever be brought into existence? Who could endure such ignominy and still persevere? 
there was silence among us which to me in the intensity of my feelings seemed to last for minutes regan was the first to speak now mrs st quintin he said it all rests with you an idea shot across my mind at the moment of the folly of which we had been guilty in placing our most vital interests in the hands of a woman merely on the score of gallantry two votes had been given to her as against one of ours simply because she was a woman it may be that there had been something in the arrangement of compensation for the tea and muffins but if so how poor was the cause for so great an effect she sat there the arbiter of our destinies you had better give your vote said smith roughly you think it is a novel she said appealing to him there can be no doubt of it he replied a novel is not a novel because it is long or short such is the matter which we intended to declare that we would not put forth in our magazine i protest said i jumping up i protest against this interference then there was a loud and a very angry discussion whether churchill smith was justified in his endeavor to bias mrs st quintin and we were nearly brought to a vote upon that i myself was very anxious to have that question decided to have any question decided in which churchill smith could be shown to be in the wrong but no one would back me and it seemed to me as though even regan and jack hallam were falling off from me though jack had never yet restored to me that article of clothing to which allusion was made in the first chapter of this little history and i had been almost as anxious for pat's latin translation as for my own production it was decided without a vote that any amount of free questioning as to each other's opinions and of free answering was to be considered fair i tell her my opinion you can tell her yours said churchill smith it is my opinion said i that you want to dictate to everybody and to rule the whole thing i think we did mean to exclude all story-telling said mrs st quintin and so the decision was given against me looking back at it i know that they were right on the exact point then under discussion they had intended to exclude all stories but heaven and earth was there ever such folly as that of which they had been guilty in coming to such a resolution i have often suggested to myself since that had the new inmate been read on that evening the panjandrum might have become a living reality and that the fortieth volume of the publication might now have been standing on the shelves of many a well-filled library the decision however had been given against me and i sat like one stricken dumb paralyzed or turned to stone i remember it as though it were yesterday i did not speak a word but simply moving my chair an inch or two i turned my face away from the lady who had thus blasted all my hopes i fear that my eyes were wet and that a hot tear trickled down each cheek no note of triumph was sounded and i verily believe they all suffered in my too conspicuous sufferings to both watt and smith it had been a matter of pure conscience 
Mrs. St. Quintin, womanlike, had obeyed the man in whose strength she trusted. There was silence for a few moments, and then Watt invited Regan to proceed. He had divided his work into three portions, but what they were called, whether they were verse or prose, translations or original, comic or serious, I never knew. I could not listen then. For me, to continue my services to the panjandrum was an impossibility. I had been crushed, so crushed that I had not the vitality left me to escape from the room, or I should not have remained there. Pat Regan's papers were nothing to me now. Watt, I knew, had written an essay called The Real Aristocrat, which was published elsewhere afterwards. Jack Hallam's work was not ready. There was something said of his delinquency, but I cared not what. I only wished that my work also had been unready. Churchill Smith also had some essay on the basis of political right. That, if I remember rightly, was its title. I often talked the matter over in after days with Pat Regan, and I know that from the moment in which my consternation was made apparent to them, the thing went very heavily. At the time, and for some hours after the adverse decision, I was altogether unmanned and unable to collect my thoughts. Before the evening was over, there occurred a further episode in our affairs which awakened me. The names of the papers had been given in, and Mrs. St. Quintin began to read her essay. Nothing more than the drone of her voice reached the tympanum of my ears. I did not look at her or think of her, or care to hear a word she uttered. I believe I almost slept in my agony, but sleeping or waking I was turning over in my mind, wearily and incapably, the idea of declining to give any opinion as to the propriety of inserting or rejecting the review of Bishop Berkeley's theory, on the score that my connection with the panjandrum had been severed. But the sound of the reading went on, and I did not make up my mind. I hardly endeavored to make it up, but sat dreamily reveling in my own grievance, and pondering over the suicidal folly of the panjandrum company. The reading went on and on, without interruption, without question, and without applause. I know I slept during some portion of the time, for I remember that Regan kicked my shin. And I remember also a feeling of compassion for the reader, who was hardly able to rouse herself up to the pitch of spirit necessary for the occasion, but allowed herself to be quelled by the cold, steady gaze of her cousin Churchill. Watt sat immovable, with his hands in his trousers' pockets, leaning back in his chair, the very picture of dispassionate criticism. Jack Hallam amused himself by firing paper pellets at Regan, sundry of which struck me on the head and face. Once Mrs. Quinton burst forth in offense. Mr. Hallam, she said, I am sorry to be so tedious. I like it of all things, said Jack. It was certainly very long. Half comatose as I was, with my own sufferings, I had begun to ask myself before Mrs. St. Quinton had finished her task whether it would be possible to endure three or four readings lengthy as this. Ah! If I might have read my 
new inmate, how different would the feelings have been? Of what the lady said about Berkeley I did not catch a word, but the name of the philosophical bishop seemed to be repeated, usque ad nauseum. Of a sudden I was aware that I had snored. A kick from Pat Regan wounded my shin. A pellet from Jack Hallam fell on my nose, and the essay was completed. I looked up and could see that drops of perspiration were standing on the lady's brow. There was a pause, and even I was now aroused to attention. We were to write our verdicts on paper, simply the word insert or reject. And what should I write? Instead of doing so, should I declare at once that I was severed from the panjandrum by the treatment I had received? That I was severed, in fact, I was very sure. Could any human flesh and blood have continued its services to any magazine after such humiliation as I had suffered? Nevertheless, it might perhaps be more manly were I to accept the responsibility of voting on the present occasion. And if so, how should I vote? I had not followed a single sentence, and yet I was convinced that matter such as that would never stir the British public mind. But as the thing went, we were not called upon for our formal verdicts. Lydia, as soon as she had done reading, turned at once to her cousin. She cared for no verdict but his. Well, said she, what do you think of it? At first he did not answer. I know I read it very badly, she continued, but I hope you caught my meaning. It is utter nonsense, he said, without moving his head. Oh, Churchill, she exclaimed. It is utter nonsense, he repeated. It is out of the question that it should be published. She glanced her eyes round the company, but ventured no spoken appeal. Jack Hallam said something about unnecessary severity and want of courtesy. Watt simply shook his head. "'I say it is trash,' said Smith, rising from his chair. "'You shall not disgrace yourself. Give it to me.' She put her hand upon the manuscript as though to save it. "'Give it to me,' he said sternly, and took it from her unresisting grasp. Then he stalked to the fire, and tearing the sheets in pieces, thrust them between the bars. Of course there was a great commotion. We were all up in a moment, standing around her as though to console her. Miss Collins came in and absolutely wept over her ill-used friend. For the instant I had forgotten the new inmate, as though it had never been written. She was deluged in tears, hiding her face upon the table but she uttered no word of reproach, and ventured not a syllable in defense of her essay. "'I didn't think it was so bad as that,' she murmured amidst her sobs. I did not dare to accuse the man of cruelty. I myself had become so small among them that my voice would have had no weight. But I did think him cruel, and hated him on her account as well as on my own. Jack Hallam remarked that, for this night at least, our work must be considered to be over. "'It is over altogether,' said Churchill Smith. "'I have known that for weeks past, and I have known, too, what fools we have been to make the attempt. 
I hope at least that we may have learnt a lesson that will be of service to us. Perhaps you had better go now, and I'll just say a word or two to my cousin before I leave her. How we got out of the room I hardly remember. There was, no doubt, some leave-taking between us four and the unfortunate Lydia, but it amounted, I think, to no more than mere decency required. To Churchill Smith I know that I did not speak. I never saw either of the cousins again, nor, as has been already told, did I ever distinctly hear what was their fate in life. And yet how intimately connected with them had I been for the last six or eight months! For not calling upon her, so that we might have mingled the tears of our disappointment together, I much blamed myself, but the subject which we must have discussed, the failure, namely, of the panjandrum, was one so sore and full of sorrow that I could not bring myself to face the interview. Churchill Smith, I know, made various efforts to obtain literary employment, but never succeeded, because he would yield no inch in the expression of his own violent opinions. I doubt whether he ever earned as much as ten pounds by his writings. I heard of his living, and almost starving, still in London, and then that he went to fight for Polish freedom. It is believed that he died in a Russian prison, but I could never find any one who knew with accuracy the circumstances of his fate. He was a man who could go forth with his life in his hand, and in meeting death could feel that he encountered only that which he had expected. Mrs. St. Quentin certainly vanished during the next summer from the street in which she had bestowed upon us so many muffins, and what became of her I never heard. On that evening Pat Regan and I consoled ourselves together as best we might, Jack Hallam and Walter Watt having parted from us under the walls of Marlbone Workhouse. Pat and I walked down to a modest house of refreshment with which we were acquainted in Leicester Square, and there arranged the obsequies of the panjandrum over a pint of stout and a baked potato. Pat's equanimity was marvelous. It had not even yet been ruffled, though the indignities thrown upon him had almost surpassed those inflicted on myself. His Lord Bateman had been first rejected, and after that his subsequent contributions had been absolutely ignored, merely because Mr. Churchill Smith had not approved his cousin's essay upon Bishop Berkeley. "'It was rot, real rot,' said Pat, alluding to Lydia's essay, and apologizing for Smith. "'But why not have gone on and heard yours?' said I. "'Mine would have been rot, too,' said Pat. "'It isn't so easy, after all, to do this kind of thing.' We agreed that the obsequies should be very private. Indeed, as the panjandrum had as yet not had a body of its own, it was hardly necessary to open the earth for the purposes of interment. We agreed simply to say nothing about it to anyone. I would go to Mr. X and tell him that we had abandoned our project, and there would be an end of it. As the night advanced, I offered to read the new inmate to my friend, but he truly remarked that of reading aloud they had surely had enough for that night. 
when he reflected that but for the violence of mr smith's proceedings we might even then at that moment have been listening to an essay upon the basis of political rights i think that he rejoiced that the panjandrum was no more on the following morning i called on mr x and explained to him that portion of the occurrences of the previous evening with which it was necessary that he should be made acquainted i thought that he was rather brusque but i cannot complain that he was upon the whole unfriendly the truth is sir he said you none of you exactly knew what you wanted to be after you were very anxious to do something grand but hadn't got this grand thing clear before your eye people you know may have too much genius or may have too little which of the two he thought was our case he did not say but he did promise to hear my story of the new inmate read with reference to its possible insertion in another periodical publication with which he had lately become connected perhaps some of my readers may remember its appearance in the first number of the marble arch where it attracted no little attention and was supposed to have given assistance not altogether despicable towards the establishment of that excellent periodical such was the history of the panjandrum end of the panjandrum part two despair end of section twelve recording by arnold banner thurmond north carolina